all of a sudden when you start conceptualizing and understanding people differently than just a t label, you start to think of it as a medical thing to consider. Um, and when we start creating treatment plans on that, on that, you know, idea of there's a medical element to this, let's treat that. It shifts people's ways of understanding what's going on with them. Well, hey, Woodside family, and welcome to all the friends who join us each week for The Link. Today we have a very important, but somewhat sensitive topic. We're going to talk about the issue of suicide. Now, not surprising to many of you, suicide is the second le leading cause of death among those who are 10 to 34 years of age. And the uh, realities of COVID-19 and the pandemic, along with social stressors, have only proved to make matters worse. As a matter of fact, if we continue on the current trajectory that we see nationally, it won't be long before suicide becomes the leading cause of death among young adults. So what can we do about it? Do we have to simply resign ourselves to these realities or can we make a difference? Today I wanna to talk to someone who I believe is on the cutting edge of both brain science as well as uh, biblical practices that can help to make all the difference concerning suicide. I hope that today's program is not only a help and a blessing to you, but through you, a help and a blessing to those that you are in relationship with. I'm so excited about my guest today. I've gotten a chance to interview him on my radio program, Equipped, and it's a joy to have Dr. Daniel Amina with me today on The Link. Dr. Amina is a psychiatrist as well as the associate uh, medical director at the Amen Clinics. Now, the Amen Clinics are a national or nationwide network of clinics that are on the cutting edge, again, of brain science and uh, brain health. It's great to have you with me, Dr. Amina, and to see you face to face. How are you today? I am well. I am well. Thank you so much for having me on, Pastor Brooks. This is such an important topic. Thank you for being willing to discuss this, bring this to your church. This is actually what we need to do, have more of these conversations proactively. Thank you so much. Let's start with talking about your book before we get into the topic specifically, uh, The Suicide Solution. Talk about why you wrote the book and what your hope is for it. Um, you know, it's a blessing to have uh, written this book with my co-author, uh, Rick Lawrence. Um, this was not something I planned. This was definitely a God thing. Um, there's a, it's a longer story to describe how we got to the actual book, but really what it comes down to is that we saw this epidemic of suicidality. Um, not, and I say suicidality in particular because it's not just about the people who have a completed suicide. It's the, it's all the thinking patterns and thought patterns that impact people that leads them to eventually can, can you know, consider suicide, attempt suicide, or complete suicide. Right. So there's a number of people that actually complete suicide, but the, the it's orders of magnitude greater the people who actually get to the point of actually planning out a suicide attempt. Having that mindset of suicidality negatively impacts your ability to live completely and fully into your life. Uh, in doing the work I've been doing now for almost a decade, uh, I've learned that this is a thing that all psychiatrists or people who work in mental health work against. Um, but in all reality, we should all be aware of it. We should all be aware of how, uh, the, in many ways, uh, the enemy can steal our joy 
and can steal um, our willingness to live. And even for those who go on to attempt or, or even for those of us who persist in living, but live without the joy that God has called us to. You know, I've talked about some of the statistics and realities surrounding uh, suicidality, as you have referred to it. But let's talk about uh, the realities of how enormous this problem is. Uh, two questions for you. First, give us a sense of the breadth of the problem. But secondly, what is causing the current trajectory upward? Because we're not just seeing this uh, nationally, we're seeing it in every state, there are increases, and in particular among teens and young adults. What's causing it? Yeah, so that in itself is a whole hour-long discussion of all the multiple things that lead to increased suicidality. Um, I'll just give kind of a brief um, discussion of it, but in this last 20 years or so, we've already seen at least a 30% increase in the suicide completion rate. So more people completing suicide over the last uh, uh, 20 years than we'd really ever seen. Um, and the rate of the increase is what got, has obviously created a lot of fear and anxiety and concern for those who treat this. Uh, in the start of the pandemic, we actually saw an increased call to hotlines. There were more attempts. There was more self-injury. We were w worried that the numbers were even going to explode even further. Thank God they have kind of stayed steady, actually, a little bit, uh, maybe even, even a slight decrease in certain age groups. Unfortunately, the age group that you talked about earlier, the 10 to 34s, it hasn't gone down. And it hasn't gone down completely. And, and here's even the, the kicker. Unfortunately, in certain groups, it's actually gone up a little bit, um, a very small amount, but it has gone up, especially in minority groups. So it's decreased maybe in white and Asian males, but it's actually went up a bit in uh, black males, um, American Indian, Alaska Natives, uh, Hispanic males too. So it's gone up in particular populations. And then not only that, in this last two years or so, even though, yes, maybe the overall suicide rate has been steady, the rate of depression and anxiety has skyrocketed um, from being maybe one in 10 to you know someone that would say they had depression or anxiety to now almost four in 10. Wow. Now, again, speaking to, well, why was it even going up in the first place? There's multiple reasons for this. Um, the hyper-connected, always-on communities that we have, the social networks, the screen time, the reduced sleep, the terrible food, the reduced exercise. Um, there's so many different elements of it. The ability to be awoken by bad news anywhere in the world. This is what I mean by the hyper-connected nature of our world. We're no longer just raised by our immediate village. We have this interaction with so many other villages in some ways, and we unfortunately pick up on some of the other negative that is happening around us. And we're uh, relational beings, we're community beings, and if we see our community in distress, we pick up on that. Mm -hmm. People, especially our teens and our younger adults, carry more of a burden than they've ever carried in, in probably the history of time. Um, and, you know, these are just part of some of the reasons, unfortunately, why these numbers have been going up. Sure, I know we can talk extensively just about causal factors, but I want to move our conversation to solutions and practical steps because I think that can help our listeners the, the best. Let's talk about what makes the Amen Clinics and your work uh, so important. You guys have really redefined the conversation from mental health 
to brain health. Talk about the distinction there. So really big thing, really big thing. That that distinction is with hope and intent of reducing the stigma, right? Think about how difficult it is to talk about some of these topics. Even think about how we have to even put a disclaimer out there in the first place. This is going to be a sensitive talk, topic, guys. Um, sure. I've actually even had conversations with people about like, well, they if they have the book and in a coffee shop, feeling a little bit more concerned about like how they would position the book. So if someone sees the title, right? Wow. People are concerned about having the, uh, these type of discussions related to mental health. And the reason we at the Amen Clinic started looking at things differently was, now I'll give you a really quick background. The Amen Clinic was founded by Dr. Daniel Amen. Um, he started about 30 years ago. And along the way, he discovered, um, well, he, was, he actually went to a conference, saw that people were doing a type of imaging called SPECT imaging. And they were looking at brains and they were talking about potentially using it in, in psychiatric diagnoses. And he was like blown away. It's like, why, why isn't everybody talking about this? Why aren't we all doing this? And he incorporated it into his practice. And he's now, you know, we've, we've scanned more people than anyone on the planet, really. Uh, we've scanned up, I think, up to 150,000 or more uh, brains uh, in that time period. And, and being able to do that has allowed us to see the brain and see psychiatric diagnosis quite differently. All of a sudden, we're recognizing that, wait, depression isn't one thing. Uh, you can come in and say, I'm depressed, but your brain could look completely different than somebody else who says that you're de they're depressed, which then influences how you would treat it. Same thing for things even like ADHD, same things for things like anxiety. All of a sudden, when you start conceptualizing, understanding people differently than just a t label, you start to think of it as a medical thing to consider. Um, and when we start creating treatment plans on that, on that, you know, idea of there's a medical element to this, let's treat that. It shifts people's ways of understanding what's going on with them. I'll give a simple example. If you see someone that's not running, you want them to be running with you. You ask them, why aren't you running with me? And they're like, I can't run. And then they, you take them to the doctor and they show you uh, an x-ray and you see, oh, wow, you have a broken leg. Wow. I'm so sorry. I can see why you can't run. All of a sudden, there's empathy, there's understanding. Unfortunately, if you see someone that says they're depressed and they can't do a task, what do people say? You know, initially, some people will say, um, buck up, be better in your faith. Um, are you being lazy? Whatever. There's all these kind of pejorative things and things that may be discussed in relation to that. When you're able to scan a brain and see that, wow, there is a difference from ideal function, and that's potentially contributing to your mix of symptoms, completely changes the way you see that individual actually changes the way the individual sees themselves right because they've gone from this self-blaming self-hate thing to recognizing oh well this is a medical thing like that broken leg that i need to take care of and that's one of the beauties of what we've done and it's also shaped how we uh, speak with our clients and educate our clients and it actually has changed and it, it's a significant influence in how we write this book we do our best to try to communicate that there's a spiritual component to this, a psychological component to this, but in there too, please recognize there's this biological component too that needs to be treated and needs to be cared for 
and needs to be proactively supported and cared for. Yeah, you talk about the pejorative things that are often said to people who are struggling with depression, anxiety, anxiety, suicidal ideation. One of the things that's often said is that, um, man, maybe you're in sin, right? And that brings in a sense of spiritual shame. I want to shift our conversation to um, what the Bible has to say about suicide. So in your studies, which are extensively clinical, you've also chosen to incorporate um, um, biblical practices. Why is that and what have you found in scripture that speaks to this issue? A really, really good point. I think one thing that I always like to start with, especially when this question comes up, is that um, I know we can go down the rabbit hole of sin, not sin, all those kind of things, but I think I like to start it from the point of um, we have a high priest, we have an advocate who came down, was tempted in every way, and yet was without sin. I think also in that is that we have a high priest, an advocate who has been through suffering, understands the pains and the sorrows and the su- that we go through, all of us. Yeah. And I think from that level of understanding, he has an empathy for us and what pain that we yes. may go through. The, the first one that understands our pain is, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? As much as we may want it to be the doctor, the, our family, or whoever else, the first one that understands is, is Jesus. Um, I, I firmly believe, and it, it's all through the Bible, that God cherishes each and every one of our lives, irrespective of, of what position we may be in. Frankly, sometimes he cherishes the least of these more. So then the, 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 the whoever may be considered a great in, in our society or such, right? Um, we are more valuable than the flock of sparrows. sparrows. He considers our bodies, um, we should consider our bodies temples, and we should care for them in that context, right? And we use them to honor our God um, and, and to live out lives that bring glory to his name. The, the Bible is littered through with all of this. And then not only that, there is an implied way to seek health in the Bible. It's not always listed out as like, you're your steps, um, you, but it's listed out in many ways as you read a story, you read an example, and you see how Christ lived. You see what he did. How Christ was not weak and timid. He walked everywhere. He was a carpenter, a mason, likely. He was fit. The foods they ate were different. The way he cared for himself was different. Um, and we've shifted our life frame from being ones that where we do things that actually feed into our health to, to we do more of things that do not feed our health. Right? Really our, our sleep cycles, our eating cycles, our food is poison. Some, for some people, it's just not very good. We don't eat very good foods. I mean, part of depression, you asked the question earlier, is that a lot of people don't eat good foods and we've been taught to eat poor, poorly. We are on screens too much. We do things that do not fit into that lifestyle that is presented to us in the Bible. Um, and, you know, when we create examples in the, in the book about how to live, it really relates to how did Christ live? Yeah. How, how, how varied was his, his experience and, and how did he want us to live into our talents and our capabilities? Because burying your talent was actually looked down on, right? We saw that. 
um, using that talent and being grateful for whatever it is, is actually a point of healing and a point that is even further blessed. That's good. I, you know, I think that so often those in the clinical professions um, are perceived as being critical of those who take the Bible seriously. But what I hear you, you saying is that maybe the problem is that we haven't taken it seriously enough. Maybe we haven't examined it closely enough. So I appreciate that. I want to ask what may seem to be the, uh, the crux of our conversation, the most serious question, and that is, is suicide preventable? 100%. Yes. Yes. Living a life that is intentional, living a life that God has called us to live, it is. Um, it's a mix of things, and for each individual, you have to understand what's happening for them. But in all honesty, I wanted to, there was a, there was a discussion about calling this book, instead of uh, the suicide solution, calling it how to live yeah. or a way to live. Yeah. Because in many ways, it's not about waiting till you get to the point of feeling suicidal, then reading a book like this. It's about how are you living so that you help prevent depression and anxiety. You help prevent those suicidal thoughts from even becoming a thing, mm. right? Um, we, we talk about something in, in the book uh, called the four C's. And it's kind of laid out in, in through the book and there's different ways to get to this, but it really breaks down to um, how are you connecting with others? Right. Um, so this is one of the C's connect. Um, how are you connecting? How are we creating a relationship with others? We are relational beings. We grow, we, we learn, we, we felt understood even in, in relationship. And this is even from my clients who, who are true introverts, right? They started out the pandemic. They were like, oh, I don't have to see anybody. I've been practicing for this all my life. This is great. <laughs> I feel great. But a couple of months in, it, it was too much. It yeah. actually did negatively start to impact them. Right. And obviously my extroverts were already having symptoms month one. We were in trouble from the beginning. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The there's another C create, right? Mm -hmm. This is again that that element of the talents here. It's what are you doing to impact your environment? It's actually one of the uh, best ways to start to remove that self-focus of 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 you know negative thinking or focusing on failure or fears moving into the environment to things you can cut, control or manage, even just drawing, writing, working on a garden, making music, cooking. And then obviously the next one is contribute, right? So supporting others, volunteering. Did you create something that you could use to support others? Did you make a meal that you can now donate, right? Um, that's another way to like multiply the effect. Can you do it with in community? Oh, now you're putting all three of those together. You multiply the effect even more. And the last one is a bigger one. It's, it's, a, it's cultivating your personal wellness. And in many ways, this relates to a lot of things we describe in the book. It's how you put it all together. It's understanding what's come before as far as what's, um, what's fed into your internal narratives, because that's one of the things we talk about. This is a big one, a big key element of this book that we all tell a story about ourselves to ourselves, right? And unfortunately, we start to live out that story. Are we the hero of our story? Are we the victim of our story? However it may be, we start to live out that story and we start to look for evidence that goes with that story, right? And we discount evidence that says it's not that. So when others come to us and say, mm -hmm. you are a person of value, you are, you are someone we appreciate, what we'll hear is the but statement 
but we need you to grow here. We need you that. And people will focus only on that, especially if they have an internal narrative that says I'm not good enough. So in cultivating personal wellness, it's understanding that internal narrative, working towards the narrative that God has actually spoken into your life, asking him, and we describe how to do this in the book, who, who do you say I am, Lord? Living into that, meditating on that, praying into that, right? And then, then doing all the other things you need to do to take care of yourself. Eat right, sure. sleep right, take your supplements, manage that thought life, work on that spiritual practice, work on your gratefulness, um, all these different things that help move you forward. You know, it's really encouraging to hear you share those things because it's empowering. It gives you back a sense that I can prevent suicide in my own life. I can help others to do the same. Let's talk as we wrap up this interview, let's talk about what friends can do and maybe even what advice you would give to the church. What can uh, we do both on an individual basis and on a corporate basis to help those who are struggling with anxiety, depression, or even uh, suicidal ideation. Here again, we take it back to the Bible. I just think of a couple of different episodes of healing that occur in the Bible and how God, and, and in many of these episodes are examples, how Jesus went about um, the healing process. If we think about, you know, the different stories, I think there's like two different stories of the paralytic man, whether friends bring in the paralytic man or, um, or the, the episode where instead of just directly healing the paralytic man, um, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven first. Yes. Right. Um, uh, uh, Jesus heals holy. So when he thinks about healing, he's not just focused on the, the issue, the, the immediate thing. He's thinking about all the things that have gone before. Right. Again, another another example here is the woman with the issue of blood. She was healed. She could have gone about her way. But Jesus wanted to bring her out so that she could make herself known to make her story known. If you imagine having an issue of blood or having something like that for years and being an outcast and other, you're going to feel I'm not good enough. You're going to feel my story is not important. But Jesus said, no, your story is even important, even in healing. Right. There's how he brought her out to identify that in the context of community. Now, keep this in mind. Another example, this is a slightly different one. This is after Jesus has ascended. And in, in Saul's conversion, there was a period where he was blind. Yes. And in, in his blindness, he actually had to go to a, a, you know, a man, a human, to, to Ananias for his healing, for his sight to, to come back. There's a lot in there, too. There's, so in my examples here, there is agency. Mm -hmm. When you work towards heal, healing, God heals you as you're ready to, as you're willing to, as you're seeking it. So that's also a challenging piece, right? You can't sometimes force somebody to be better. You may have to walk alongside them, right? And at times you may have to carry somebody at times, true, yes. right? As people have carried their, their, their friends over, right? And they've continued to seek them and support them. Yeah. There's agency in healing, right? There's relationship in healing, mm -hmm. right? We heal in the context of our community. This is where the church element comes into. Are we providing an environment for healing? Is it going to be a condemnation conversation, right? About how maybe you're not a good enough Christian. What sin did you do, right? What aren't you telling us, right? Is it a condemnation type conversation or is it one that brings life? 
right? There's a humility element of it, of being able to express what someone has been dealing with. Um, often in defining who do you say I am, Lord, you may speak to an elder in the church, right? Someone that else can, they can speak over you and say, this is who I'm hearing that God is saying you are. This is what you're, who you are, what you're capable of. That internal negative narrative that was set for you in the past, that is not you. We, 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 we speak against that and we, we bind that. Um, so when I think of like, how do we do this as a church? How do we do this as a community? Honestly, we got to educate ourselves first. We got to know where we're coming from. You don't have the right words to say if you haven't studied what words to say in the first place or how to present yourself in the first place. I think starting from the first thing of recognizing this is not something to be ignored is usually number one. Um, yes. For almost any problem, it's can I be there? Can I be there to support the person? Listen. Mm -hmm. Don't think of it as just a phase. Don't explain it away and say you'll be fine. People feel dismissed and they don't want to share it anymore. Mm. Right? Be ready to listen to them. Be ready to do something called active listening, where you're pretty much just kind of repeating what they said in many ways, right? And then going, maybe adding an element of empathy. Yeah, that would be, that sounds like it's pretty painful. That sounds like something I wouldn't want to do or deal with. Um, and then even gently encouraging them and going, so what have you been thinking about to, to solve it or work on this? You have no idea? Well, would you want me to share some things I'm thinking? Or would you want me to accompany you to go somewhere to talk to somebody about this? Maybe that they will know better because I think the people who train in this, the people who've learned about this stuff, um, what I've heard is that it might actually be a brain thing. Maybe it's not something you did or anything. It's just a medical thing. Sure. I heard that if you have a concussion, you're two or three times more likely to now have suicidal thinking, just a concussion. How many people ignore that as nothing? Right. So it's often starting with educating yourself seeing it as a community, we get better in community, we get better when we all are open to having this discussion. It's really good. Dr. Amina, your gift uh, to uh, the body and the work that you and your colleagues are doing at the Amen Clinics is not only groundbreaking, but I think enormously helpful. And I'm grateful that we get a chance to help to get the word out and uh, encourage all of you to consider picking up the book, The Suicide Solution. Uh, we'll have links in uh, this edition of, uh, the, uh, of the link. Uh, you'll find it in the postscript. And I'm looking forward to having this as an ongoing conversation because uh, part of what we know is that we can't fight what we keep in the darkness. But as we expose these things in the light, we can not only help to prevent uh, suicide and depression and anxiety, but we can help to be a light to others. Uh, I appreciate you joining me. I want to pray for all of us as we wrap up this edition of The Link. Father, thank you that you are truth. Uh, thank you that you have brought us truth so that we might be free. Thank you for your grace uh, that is at work in your people. Lord, I pray for those who feel overwhelmed that this conversation would bring encouragement and hope and I pray for those who maybe have tried everything only to grow uh, worse, that they would um, be led and guided by your spirit to a place of freedom and, um, and liberation and breakthrough. Lord, uh, may the healing ministry of Christ be seen in our lives, not just physically, 
uh, the Lord in our, in our brains as well as our emotions and even in the stories that we believe about ourselves and about you. Uh, thank you for Dr. Amina and uh, for all who are listening today and watching. I pray that you will bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Link. Again, a very important topic. It won't be our last time addressing it. Again, take advantage of the resources that are mentioned. And if you are a member of Woodside and you do feel that you need help dealing with uh, depression or anxiety, feeling overwhelmed emotionally, please reach out to your campus pastor. We are here, we love you, and we want to support you. I can't wait till we're together again on the next edition of The Link.